listening to the Seaworthy Podcast, Episode 1. Seaworthy is a podcast about validating and solving problems through software. Today we're talking about mitigating the risk of startup ideas. Good, man. How are you? I am amazing. Thank you for asking. How's your long Memorial Day weekend? It was good. We spent some time up north in uh, God's country, fishing and swimming and nice, enjoying man. the outdoors. How about yourself? Sounds similar to mine. I guess that's just what you do on in Wisconsin yeah. on holiday weekends. But yeah, we were at a cabin, uh, spent a lot of time swimming and reading, reading a book, Deep Work. Do Deep you Work that? by Cal Newport. Cal Newport, yeah. It's been... It's going deep, isn't it? It's going deep, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Great book. Um, have you read it? Part of it. I'm not okay. all the way through. All right. Book club. Let me know when you're done. <laughs> we'll compare notes. Sounds like a plan. So I'm excited to dive in today, pick your brain a little bit about validating startup ideas. Uh, there's a lot of ground to cover here, and I think we're going to break this up into a few different s- series, phases, sessions. Uh, but to start, we're just going to go over an overview of the, the whole thing here, the whole process that, that you kind of run at Edway. Right. So I know you don't put a lot of value in ideas. I've heard you say this a lot. People come in here talking about their next million-dollar app idea. but Well, million's not even very much money more. Billion-dollar app idea. And it's we really don't like talking to entrepreneurs who put a lot of weight behind the idea. We like to see some action, some execution, uh, and, you know, things like making a sign NDAs before even hearing about it. Mm Kind of red flags for us from the start. Can you talk a little bit about your philosophy behind that and why you put so much or so little weight behind that? Yeah, and I I don't think this is a, you know, a new new concept, right, to, to kind of put little weight on on ideas it's all about the execution and Derek Sivers says that um, you know he has a blog about ideas are just a multiplier of execution so if you have a really big idea and the execution is excellent you know you have potentially billion dollar business if you have a poor idea with great execution um, you know you might be able to make hundred thousand dollars on it right there might be a small market that you can do Um, but when it comes to ideas you know a lot of people uh, talk about the solution, right? They, I have an idea for this, and it's really proposing solutions before they really understand what the problem is. You know, even if it's even if they're their target market, um, it's easy to think about the solution, how awesome it would be for them, without you know seeing if other people have that problem or if there's other problems that are kind of uh, more valuable for someone to solve, right? Or maybe kind of prerequisites to putting the solution they have in their mind in place. So there's a lot of, uh, I guess there's a lot, you know, we put a lot of weight on talking to customers, on understanding, empathizing, and really trying to get a holistic view of what the problem is, you know, for our specific users. Right, right. So say I'm someone coming to Headway to you, Mm -hmm. and I have an idea that I think is worth pursuing. What should the roadmap be for me to try and take that idea to market. Mm-hmm. I know that's a very 
it, it, it varies from one idea to the next and one person to the next and the skill sets they have in-house and everything, but just kind of the general rule of thumb for, like, the different stages of kind of product development and validation. Right. I think the first thing, you know, if you haven't done, if you haven't talked to a lot of people and it's an idea that you've had for a while, <clears throat> I think the first thing is just mapping out what your assumptions are. So a lot of times we start with, you know, both business assumptions and user assumptions and um, just getting those down on a piece of paper. Um, you know, with that, you can kind of create, uh, you know, your first version of your business plan, not the traditional plan that's 30 or 40 pages long. But, you know, we use the lean canvas here to plot those out because, you know, in startups, it's ever changing. So getting down your first assumptions, um, getting that into a plan form and then just identifying, OK, if this product's going to fail, what what are the riskiest things, you know? what's going to make this fail and let's put those first right let's let's learn fast let's fail fast and let's prioritize those so that we don't spend um you know years trying to validate this product and come to the end and find out we can't do it because of legal reasons so you know really prioritizing you know what you need to learn first i think is big when it comes to you know ideas and things taking off i think there's a quote not sure um, who said it? I think it was a. It started with a tweet, but you know, life's too short to build something nobody wants. I think it might be Ash Maria. Um, you know, everyone on this earth has limited time, right? We want to make a big, the biggest impact we can, and you know, personal lives, business lives, and those ideas that we have, we really need to prioritize because if you know, everyone has a ton of ideas, right? You, if you spend ten years on one idea and it and it tanks and you don't prioritize that, the opportunity cost of that is huge, right? You, there's so many other ideas you have or maybe even something that's closer to you that um, could have provided more value for people, could have changed more people's lives or whatever. Um, but really prioritizing, you know, those risks first so that if you fail, you fail fast. Um, and that's a big kind of mantra of the industry. But, you know, from there, it's it's talking to users, um, you know, creating personas. So who do we assume our users are right now? Um, how do we define them? What, you know, what do they think about? What's their family life? Are they married? Are they single? Um, thinking about income even in the patterns that they might have so we can think like them. Um, we can think about how the product might fit into their life. And then we go out and talk to them, right? And we validate whether or not the people who we targeted initially and, and built this persona around, if that person is actually in need of this. Right. So that's kind of the, the first step. Some people call them the BS personas because it's just it's all based on assumption. And really, the next round of personas that you do is a lot more, uh, a lot more accurate, a lot more representative of who your users are. So once you do that, you know, you talk to more people, um, you really have to ask the right questions to the right people. I think that's a big, big thing, you know, asking your parents what they think of the idea. <laughs> They're probably always going to tell you it's great. Um, you know, your close friends, they might not shoot it straight with you unless you have kind of more of a, a professional um, mentorship type, you know, relationship with them where they're going to, you know, speak it like it is. But, um, you know, finding the right people, asking the right questions. Um, you know, I think when it comes to the right questions, we think about, you know, the problem, uh, the problem interviews, we call them. It's really asking questions like, uh, <clears throat> You know, tell me the last time you did X, you know, and so how, you know, how that fits into the problem. So you're really trying to ask questions, figure out if they have this problem without, 
um, you know, telling them what your the solution you have in your mind is, Without so you can get the best them or feed. Steering them too much, right? Exactly, and a lot of times that uncovers things that are more valuable than your initial idea, or maybe even impact that. You know, you you find out some more constraints, whether it's for enterprise or consumer. You can really start to uncover some things of, uh, you know, people's behavior, what they're doing now, how they're solving the problem now. Um, you know, and and really start to steer your product based on. Uh, you know, the feedback you get. At the same time, it's a delicate balance between what a user says and what a user does. Um, You know, and there's many examples um, of that that, you know, we've experienced where the users say one thing and we do some observation and some screen recordings of how they're using an app and, you know, really uncovers totally different things. So you have to learn to balance that. Um, And I don't think there's any specific guides around it. I think it's collecting both data. Right, directly from the user and then collecting actual observational data. Right. So it's not always do as I say, not as I do. You kind of need to find a balance in there. Right. Okay. So I've got my idea. I've run it past. I've developed some personas. I've run it past them. I've refined the questions that I'm asking. I've refined the people that I'm interviewing. What's next? Yeah, from there, it's, you know, you boil it down to a list of features, right? And those are all assumptions. Um, Something that's going to be valuable to, you know, to the problem you're trying to solve. So creating a, you know, a prototype, whether that's sketches or, um, you know, on a piece of paper, that could be on a whiteboard. It could be something you have uh, online that you can share with those users, and some other users to really validate, you know, is this something that would be valuable to you? Um, and really start asking those questions and doing essentially a solution interview of here's what we have, here's our prototype, you know, what do you think? Or maybe walking them through some flows. And there's two sides, right? There's the business value or the actual value it creates for the user. And there's also, you know, the UX flow testing that we do. And so those are two different things, but. Uh, I would put the problem first. You know, are we solving the right problems in in the user's mind? Is this something that's valuable to them um, in their daily lives, or you know, whatever whatever problem they're trying to solve? Does this does this scratch that itch? Um, and then from there, honing in how that is actually done, and that's kind of the part of, of UX testing of you know, is this flow correct for this specific problem that we're solving, or this specific job to be done. So you touched on it a little bit there with um, problem interviews, solution interviews, prototyping. But what are some other examples or, or just different things that you do to validate assumptions around a business idea? And I'd love to hear you know, the different types of research that you typically perform for people and just give people, rather than just the menu of different options, hopefully give them a little bit of context to, to help them figure out how to decide what might be right for them in their circumstance. Um, so I, if it's all right with you, I'd like to throw just kind of a, a fake company at you mm-hmm. and pretend I'm coming to you for, you know, th- this this very initial validation stage. It's, it's just idea stage for me right now. Yep. And what would the process look like? for validating? And I know it's you can probably only speak to the, fir- to the first part, but, you know, maybe based on, 
the feedback we get, we have a decision to make. We could do mm-hmm. X or Y. Right. If you could talk through some of those. So my idea is, and I, you do know about this idea I've, I've talked to you a little bit about before, but we've never done anything with it. We've never researched it. But so I, this problem is probably unique to people like us who <laughs> do client work for companies all over and, and use all kinds of different task management systems. So I get annoyed because I've got tasks assigned to me in Basecamp, mm-hmm. Trello, GitHub, Asana, and then I have my personal task manager, OmniFocus. And it's hard to to know which inbox to check. And stuff could come in one of the inboxes, but it's not in doesn't line to my personal task manager. Mm-hmm. And it's just hard to keep everything in sync. So most of these applications have APIs. So my idea was to build kind of one inbox and that's what I was going to call the app one inbox and uh, have it sync with all these different different services that I have to use so it provides me one uh, interface for like a GTD interface similar to OmniFocus but I, t- I get a set assigned a task in Asana it shows up on my in- inbox and one inbox and then I can communicate you know mo- there's a lot of similarities between how all these different mm-hmm. apps use them. You know, there's it's either done or it's not done. There's a completed at date. There's comments. Mm-hmm. There's attachments. So, how would I? I mean, it's a bit, it'd be a big investment to go about building something like that. So, what what's the? How can I mitigate that risk of mm-hmm. making that investment? What's that process look like? Yep. So as I talked about before, you know, we the first thing we should do is map out what our assumptions are right now, right? So this is a case where, you know, you're a developer, uh, you know, a very specific example, um, or maybe, yeah, maybe like a, a power user example of you have all these inboxes, you work with all these different people, we work with clients across, you know, these different apps would be map out our, our assumptions and then build our personas. Who's actually having the same problem? Right. Or who do we think is going to have the same problem? And that would be, you know, exploring markets like designers, development agencies, people who, you know, kind of share some of the common commonalities and see, you know, tell me about the last time you used, you know, a tool. What was it? Right. So when was the last time you used a tool to, to ma- you know, manage your project or what tool is that? You know, hey, well, it's actually six these six different tools that we use, depending on who our customers are um, and diving a little bit deeper into that. Um, you know, asking them kind of what happens if they don't get one of those things done or they miss a notification, right? What, you know, what's the um, the consequence of them not being on top of all of these different inboxes? Right, and it might be nothing, in which case it doesn't actually provide much value. But it's, or I'm, I'm right. assuming that it provides value to other people. And Right. Well, it could be, you know, hey, I missed a deadline. Um, someone assigned me this thing in Basecamp, but... For some reason, Gmail's blocking out, uh, you know, uh, it went to my spam for whatever reason, or it got batched with another email that I didn't see, and I could lose my job over it, right? And we can see, like, the value that that would create would be pretty big, or, you know, we would miss a launch. It really depends on, you know, what that actual task is that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but just learning, you know, what are the different consequences that it has, and what's the value that clarity in one inbox might provide, you know, and not telling them that, hey, we're going to bring all these into one. What do you think? That's kind of, you know, later down the road, but just learning about the problem, you know, what are the consequences or what's the value that it would provide them to, 
you know, have total clarity on the stuff? And then what would they change about it if they could? You know, if they had the power to change anything about how they manage the projects, you know, they might very well say, well, just one stream of stuff that I can actually look at. Right. Um, and that kind of gives us a, a good idea um, without steering it. But from there, you know, I think I mentioned this before is it might the people who we talk to might not have those same problems. Mm-hmm. So then we'd go back to the drawing board and we'd say, well, we think they work in this industry and we think they are this old and they use these different apps. And, um, you know, right. they're busy at home. They have a huge, you know, you mentioned OmniFocus. They have a, um, you know, personal inbox of stuff they need to do. They have a work inbox they're trying to balance. And, you know, they're a family person. They have a wife and two kids and they're really trying to struggle uh through their week to balance this stuff, right? So they could get to the weekend and spend some time with their family. But, um, you know, from there, it's kind of taking the insights that we've learned. Um, you know, Steve Krug says that, you know, you can learn anything you need to from 10 interviews. So we could really do 10 interviews to um, validate asking these questions. And it depends on the feedback. You know, we can pivot um, along the way if we, they're not who we think they are, but do these 10 interviews, look at the data, see that if it's conclusive or if there's common patterns that we see through there, um, you know, maybe in this example, maybe it's prioritizing which APIs we plug into first, right? Um, So who's using more of this? And we can even do some more qualitative research on project management tools, a quantity of them, talk to people in other agencies that we know, um, talk to people on, on the client side, you know, see what people are using in our industry and target that one industry. So, you know, we could really build a niche tool for agencies to manage their streams, right? And it could be an enterprise tool um, for each one of their people and it can really steer it. Or it could be, you know, a standalone tool for one person who works with multiple teams as a consultant. Um, But really, you know, there we would try to, I guess, try to measure it and try to make the decision of where do we think we can provide the most value and where do we think, you know, where are we most certain on who our first customer is going to be? Mm-hmm. You know, so we would take that and we would start building out. Once we have that data, we would start building out a prototype. You know, in our case here, we would do, you know, probably build something in Sketch, um, a quick prototype with the features we have or something, you know, representative of it and start doing some solution interviews. Um, if we take a step back and we want to take a more lo-fi approach. Yeah, like me. why would we use Sketch? Could you talk a little bit about why it's good, why that's a good fit for us versus someone else? Yeah, I mean, so sketches are, you know, our tool of choice when it comes to wireframing and design. Um, and it integrates really well with, you know, other things. I just gave a sketch uh, lunch and learn last week about this stuff. But, you know, it does, uh, has data population tools with JSON. So we can get an export from, you know, a real database and we can use real data. And that's really important when you go to users is, you know, seeing something they're familiar with, the actual data, they can visualize it versus holder text like lorem ipsum or mm-hmm. blah, 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 whatever, you know. Right. So that sounds great. And everyone yep. probably wants that. But how do you decide, you know, should I go through all the effort to create yep. sketch mockups and then prototype we use Envision for most of our prototyping yep. versus back of a napkin drawing some screens. Yep. So I think, you know, one of the things to consider is who your target audience is, right? So we're, you know, if this is something for agencies and people that are, you know, in the creative world that manage a lot of different inboxes, 
it would be a balance of sketch and perhaps maybe like a smoke screen or a video MVP where we put up a landing page, right? We do one mock of the app, um, you know, like a dashboard, something that visualizes the main value proposition and then put that up on a landing page um, with a sign up, right? Or maybe even a, a beta test sheet, you know, and we can test it a few different ways. You know, there's um, sites like beta list, you could throw it on early bird. Um, you could definitely do um, try to get it into product. And I know they're a little bit uh, wary on betas that are private and aren't actually released yet, but there's a few different, you know, places, you, designer news, hacker news, um, you know, Quora, and really start getting this out there, you know, organic means you can talk, you know, throw up a medium post or a blog post about it. Hey, we're building this tool um, and try to get people to sign up. Right. And you could pay to do that as well. Right. So you could get social traffic for people that maybe like the pages of the tools that we're integrating or actually use those tools. You know, we could do some media buying things where we know they went to the site. Um, you know, let's display this ad to them. Or we know they like this or they follow this person. You know, we can get really kind of granular with that and target the people who, um, you know, we believe are our main customers. Okay, yeah. so you mentioned one of the variables you consider is target audience. Mm -hmm. If it's designers and developers or people who focus maybe a little bit more on the user experience, you might want to go higher fidelity. Mm -hmm. So that's, I'm sure there's other variables. What, yep. I mean, I imagine price is one. Price. Uh, what, what else do you take into consideration? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you know, the price, you need to know, you know, what your technical skills are, right? Do you have any funding that you can, that can get you there? Um, you know, I think establishing relationships is, is a big part of it and talking to people. You know, we said we would talk to agency partners, you know. If we're rolling out this tool, that's really kind of an unfair advantage of ours is we know a lot of people, right, versus someone who's maybe coming from the consumer side, isn't in the industry. They would have to build those relationships over time, um, try and get, you know, the decision makers on board, um, you know, to build those relationships, email them, talk to them. There's a lot of friction there, um, whereas we could really just pick up the phone and talk to, you know, some of our trusted partners and uh, people we know in the industry. Um, so, you know, connections is, is one of those things. Um, like you said, price point and audience, that could be an enterprise product. It could be a consumer product. It really depends. Um, you know, like you said, in our industry, designers and developers are probably more, um, I guess, more would put more credibility in something that, that, you know, has a great value prop and has, you know, strong visuals, even if it doesn't have um, anything or is catchy, right? Or maybe um, right. something that has a unique, uh, unique messaging, you know. Right. We appreciate the effort that went into the design. Right. The copy and the UX. And right. And it could, yeah, and it could not be designed, you know, it could be great copy, right? It could be you talking on video about this. It could be, you know, drop, the Dropbox example where they had 5,000 people signed up to their list over, you know, a few a few months span. And they created this landing page with a video. And really all they were doing is they sketched, um, you know, a computer. They sketched the iPad. They sketched some data. They had a little cloud icon and really had, you know, a camera face down on a desk. And they walk through their value prop of, hey, I share data from my computer. I go to the store and I can access that on my phone. Really, you know, visualizing and capturing uh, their value prop in a video without building anything. And right. so that got posted to Hacker News and they ended up with 75,000 signups for beta. 
right? So there's there's an example where they didn't build anything. They worked on their value prop. They talked to users. They had the problem themselves. They tried to get signups so that when they did launch or when they went to do solution interviews that they had people to talk to. They knew people were interested, right, by the volume of people that signed up. There was a lot of chatter kind of in the tech community that press picked up on, hey, this product's coming out. Um, this really solves a pain point for all these people, you know, because up until that time it was email. It was right. backing it up on a USB drive and handing it to someone, you know, presentations, all, all kinds of things that we could think about. But, you know, there's video, like that's an example where they use a landing page and, and a video as an MVP, you know. So it's a way to communicate the, the product, the value prop, um, and, you know, they propose a solution. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they did any problem in solution interviews? Or, I mean, how often do you think people just, their idea is what they end up building versus this kind of iterative thing and finding out, like in our example, mm-hmm. the way you're describing it, I'm realizing I'm probably, well, I'm lucky I didn't just start developing this because there's a lot of assumptions there and mm-hmm. there probably is some pain. Like I'm sure other people feel the pain of having seven inboxes that they can mm-hmm. assign tasks in, but my specific solution had uh, a thousand assumptions mm-hmm. baked in about, you know, the target audience and where it would be most valuable and, yep. and all that. But yeah, I mean, how often do you, do you think, that that happens that people hit the mark right on and and their first I think it's pretty rare I think that you know you have some semblance of of the idea you know kind of always I think there's a way you know there's other things where um you know one one startup we work with in the past you know it what they ultimately pivoted to was 10% of the product um you know, so they, they really niched down. They focused on one aspect of their product offering. Instead of offering this entire suite of features, they offered one thing, and they started to gain traction. You know, for a long time, they had this comprehensive product that solved all these problems, but it was such an overwhelming undertaking for anyone that was going to onboard that they were very hesitant to do it. There's a lot of friction there. Right. So they focused down into probably, you know, the most valuable thing, and they started gaining traction started validating getting users signed up you know um so it, less is more yeah less <laughs> is more so if you can you know the more targeted you can be in your value prop in who your target audience is in you know your actual product value the better it's going to be when you think about creating a i want to create an end-to-end product that um solves you know supply chain management for <laughs> you know right a, a distribution company Right, you're probably not going to penetrate that market. The friction for them to even come on board is huge. They have to make a massive investment, right? But it's probably easier to start with, hey, we're going to make invoicing and billing for this specific industry 10 times better. Right, and than we'll what integrate it is. with these three systems that right. already exist, so you don't even need to worry about migrating your software right. or anything like that. Right, and so you make it, you know, you make a simple decision around this specific pain point they can think about instead of, trying to solve all of their problems with one product you know so you start you could start with one and and kind of expand from there as you uncover new problems and um, you know kind of gain some user adoption right we talked a lot about prototyping and some different types of prototyping that you do what are some specific tools you use aside from sketch and envision i think i see a new app from you every week that 
you can use for gathering a different type of customer feedback or making it a little bit easier to do kind of lower fidelity wireframes, things like that. What, what are some of the tools that are on your radar right now? Yeah, um, you know, for people that aren't super tech savvy, um, you know, or have the time to invest in learning tools like Sketch and Envision, you know, you can also always use pencil and paper, um, you know, sketch things out and you can present that to a, you know, a user. You can also install things like Pop. Um, is an app where you can take photos of those sketches that you put on the paper and actually link those together. So, you know, you, you pretty much sketch out, you know, exactly what the app's going to look like or, you know, what it looks like in your mind and take photos, link those screens together, the menu, the back buttons, um, you know, all the different options that'll lead to a different screen. And then you can link it together as if it's an app. So you can kind of have a conversation with someone or maybe, you know, test flow. You can talk about, um, you know, the solution, the solution that you're offering. Um, you know, that's a way for you to do it. Um, you know, the other example, kind of a, a level up from that would be doing something manually. I think they call it the concierge MVP, where you do something manually first to prove it out, and then you build a system or a site or a software around it. You know, a good example, <clears throat> good example of that would be, um, you know, Zappos, where they, they listed things and they manually went and <laughs> bought right. these things from another site and they shipped them out. Um, you know, before they even built the software on top of that, that people could come and browse. You know, the the other one that comes to mind um, is Groupon, where, you know, they essentially started with a, a WordPress theme and they got these orders in. They, they manually sent the purchaser um, the coupon via email and they did all of these things to prove out that people actually wanted this. Um, you know, and that's depends on the stage of your idea and where you are in validation. You know, they had this idea that, here's a problem they were having, here's a solution we want, but really went lean with it. You know, they could have built, you know, tried to raise investment and built an application that did this from the start, but they wanted to prove it out first. So they did a lot of it manually. They proved it out. You know, I don't know what their step was behind the scene if they then went to investors to, to build it out or they hired a team, um, whatever it was, but they, you know, they started there and said, hey, this is our solution that works. Obviously, it has to you know, has to balance, you know, UX in that case when you're customizing WordPress themes to do some advanced actions. But, you know, that's just, you know, one of the ways that people do it. The other way you can do it manually would be creating Excel sheets for things that do computational stuff or, um, you know, have someone, you know, yeah, you know, use Excel, do it manually, prove it out that it's valuable and then build software around it. Yeah, I can't tell you how many applications I've built that are really just glorified spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, they're automating process that happened in spreadsheets in the past. Right. Yeah. Um, the other way, you know, there's Bootstrap and Foundation out there. If you're a developer, you don't have design chops, you can, you know, download one of the, you could probably learn Bootstrap or Foundation in, you know, less than a week, build something clickable that you could give to users that's, um, you know, that's responsive. You could open it up on your phone and kind of fake it. There's other technologies that you could use that are a little bit more advanced um, than that. But, you know, there's a lot of things out there now, you know, UI kits um, that you could use and, and kind of connect connect the dots between things. Um, I know that Creative Dash has a lot of, 
a lot of UI kits that you can use. You know, and that's really just focusing on the visuals. So that's why it's so important for you to understand the problem you're solving um, and how that applies. You know, from a flow standpoint, that you can implement those. Um, that would use a tool like Sketch or Photoshop, uh, for example. Yeah, that's great. So with all these tools, it seems like it's probably easier than ever to get the feedback you need to figure out if what you're building is mm -hmm. truly, you know, meets the, the demands of your, your target market. So why do you think people still don't seem to, to do this very often? It seems like people still get really married to ideas, you know, like we talked about at the beginning, you know, they, they make you sign an NDA before you even hear about it. Mm -hmm. Like they, um, or, and they jump right into development without doing any kind of validation. And why, why do you think that that happens so much? Yeah, I think that, you know, it happens because it, it sounds easy to go and talk to people, right? And it sounds easy to, to put this stuff first, but it's very, you know, it's easier to think of an idea as a designer or developer or creator and just create it for creating sake, right? I, hey, I created this app, um, and, it, you know, I'm guilty of this in the past, too. I, you know, had this idea. I just wanted to create a new interface for this, you know what I mean? And it turns out to, you know, you build it and no one comes. You know, so that's that's one of the myths. If you build it, they will come. But it's easy to do the hard skills, right, than it is the soft skills and talk and learn, uh, learn from people, Um and kind of slow down and have the patience uh, for the process, right? So it's easier to, to just jump into code and not worry about that. And, and I have this solution in my head that I'm going to go ahead and build um, without understanding. And then, you know, that's how you get to the point where nine out of 10 startups fail these days. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you fall in love with the solution you had in your mind when, you know, like I said, when you think of an idea, you're really thinking of the solution because you assume it provides value to you, um, but you have to detach yourself from that and learn about the problem more, fall in love with the problem, uh, and your users really empathize with them, you know, what they go through on a daily basis, um, whatever whatever your idea is, um, you know, follow your users, follow the data, right? So try not to make decisions based off emotions and, yeah, iterate. Awesome. I think that's a great place to wrap up. Thank you so much, Andrew, for pouring out so much knowledge here today. This was a lot of fun getting to do an actual interview with you. Uh, and I think we can look forward to some more of this kind of format in the future. And we will have some, some guests, some external guests coming on soon. Uh, we've got Brian from Handshake joining us in the booth here, yeah, hopefully, that's correct. in a few weeks. Um, and yeah, more to be announced soon. But yeah, I'm Chris Schmitz. Keep up with me on Twitter, at CC Schmitz. I'm Andrew Verbencore. You can follow me on Twitter at Averbs. Thanks for listening to Seaworthy. Connect with us on Twitter at SeaworthyFM. And make sure to subscribe, ask questions, and leave feedback on the Remarks app. We'll see you again in two weeks.